Yeah, absolutely. All part of the plan. All right. So, I mean, episode one. Episode one. Here we go. Cheers. Mason jars. Mm-hmm. So how are you, sir? Good. I'm well. You're doing well? That's doing awesome. Well. Well, times I just drink freaking straight up uh, Captain. That's awesome. Yep. It's, you know, it's for the kick. So here we are. If this is officially episode one, um, my name is Jason Early, and this is Designing Opinion. Um, we'll get a little bit more into what the show is to be as kind of we go along here. Um, I'm joined tonight with Aaron Silvers. Aaron Silvers is more or less is a multidisciplinary man of action. He's one part community builder, one part uh, defense contractor, one part secret agent, and bringer together of amazing people pretty much all around the world. Um, that's pretty much accurate, right? It sounds really good. It sounds good, right? It sounds really good. Let's just go with that. Go with that. <laughs> No, in, in, in all honesty, Aaron is a community management community management for an open source platform, a subcontractor with the Department of Defense and Department of Education, um, all around background in education and e-learning, and what else? I mean, you, you can probably describe yourself better than I can. Well, I think you did a pretty good job. I mean, uh, I'm, my background's in classroom education. I'm a self-taught programmer, as are most programmers, and most really anybody. Um, and uh, I just kind of fumbled my way one experience after another into the, to the kind of job I have now where I'm uh, helping to build community, I would say collective action towards... Uh, the development of open source technology for learning and education technologies. And above all that, you are a designer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you say that with a little emphasis and shock. Well, because I, I would say I wouldn't say I was a reluctant designer. I would say that I was late to the party realizing that I was a designer. Uh, I mean, it, it took a number of experiences and uh people who I really, really admired from afar, who when I finally had the chance to meet them, uh, kind of sh- shocked me into the to this awareness that the reason why I would have trouble describing to my parents, to my family, to my friends uh, that I wasn't working with, even to the people I was working with, like, what is it that I actually did was because I was trying to describe it in all sorts of other terms than Design, because I looked at design as like, well, this is the graphics background. This is there's a whole aesthetic. You have to be more of like an artist. Mm-hmm. That wasn't me. I had an education background. I dealt in code for a really long time, and like like that made it right. so I wasn't a designer. You you didn't have a formal design training. No, not, per se. No, not at all. Okay, um, but I would argue that there's a whole sh- storm of experiences that were reinforcing process at every level and especially when you're going from the void or just the chaos and trying to filter it down into something that is reproducible or something that is intentional 
that that is a design process and that was happening to me when I was do, learning how to do code and teaching myself how to do code and reinforced in all these different ways I just didn't know to call that design right which is kind of going to be an overlying concept hopefully of this show um, designing opinion is looking to be an, an ongoing conversation with a number of guests involving topics within the design industry. Um, I myself have a background in graphic design um, and have had that career for over 10 years now. Um, and there's a lot going on within the design industry, not just the graphic design industry, but the design industry as a whole that Ten, that bears to need to have a little bit more conversation. Um, so tonight we're getting into a little bit of setting setting expectations. Tonight we're planning on talking about product design. Um, at least that's the plan. We could certainly easily go off the rails, and um, that's the kind of exciting part of this. Um, so looking to start this show tonight was dealing with a lot of things happening within the the tech industry recently um, that certainly overlaps into design conversations um, of which I'm talking about Sparrow okay. Sparrow was a fantastic email client still is still is a fantastic email client it just it's, hurts your feelings it's now. now now it hurt a lot of people's feelings um, because the team was acquired by Google and they f flat out said the product is not going to be supported any longer. We're going to continue to support and fix bugs in the system, but don't expect anything new. Um, and a lot of that comes and that pissed off a lot of people and made a lot of people very vocal. Why? And very upset. But why is the question? Why did that upset people? Right. Um, are you asking me? Well, well I'm, I'm asking, well, uh, in general, I mean the... In general, right. So, why is it that we become so attached to these very temporary sets of tools? Um, a lot of us, I'm sure, within the industry rely heavily on digital tools, um, being from Google Calendar to Gmail to um, any third-party type of application. Um, tools that essentially we didn't create ourselves, that we bought or used for work or they're free or they're accessible. But when things go badly, it hurts. It hurts deep. Sure does. And let's talk a little bit about why. Um, Aaron, you you had a situation this week that kind of sparked this entire conversation. You asked, you asked, you were like, "I'm gonna go write about it," and I said, eh, "You can write about it later. Let's 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 open it up. Let's talk about it first. Okay. So I I, I will share this very brief story of a cascading chain of fail. Okay. Um, and it's something I'm still dealing with. I mean, I've been dealing with it all of last week and it, it has piped up time and again 
And every time it happens to me, I'm like shaking my fist and swearing and throwing things. Usually it's my phone. Except that now I took the keys off my phone, so I can't do that anymore. Anyway. Um, I have had, in the last couple of weeks, like, I, I'm an iPhone user. And I mostly rely, I've mostly relied on Google Calendar for everything, whether it's Google Applications, Google Apps, accounts like for work, uh, uh, and for other projects that I have going on, or it's just straight up Gmail uh, and Google Calendar for personal scheduling and things like that, and Google Talk for IM. Um, like in the last, really in the last week or two, I've had IMs drop or been really, really delayed in coming through, which is like incredibly annoying when people, when I myself have like imagined that I'm, I'm, I'm texting somebody or I'm instant messaging somebody and I'm expecting that, you know, because they're available that they're seeing it right away, right? Because the, the available status gives them agency, mm -hmm. gives me agency. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's an, a, a text message or an iMessage, which is just like a text message by, by the way it's used in, in the same application that a text message would go through. I expect that if it says delivered, that you actually get it. Mm -hmm. um, and the reality is that there have been a lot of delays in the delivery of these messages, even though they're supposed to be instantaneous. And it works both ways. The things I'm sending out go for a really long time without being answered. And then I'm wondering, well, why aren't they answering me? Are they upset that I say something that upset them? And they're thinking the exact same things on the other end. So that in and of itself is annoying. What becomes even more dangerous, I would say, from a, from a distance working perspective is on top of the instant messaging fail, because Skype is also dropping things too in terms of their instant messaging. Mm -hmm. So, so let me let me just okay. kind of okay. throw that in here too. Is that you work remotely? I plus, say, I, plus working, um, you work remotely here in the city of Chicago. Yes, you don't have a set office. You Not don't really. have a set yeah point of contact, and you're also working remotely across the country as well. Yes, and I'm working on multiple projects. I mean, like I do have a main paid gig, but I do a lot of extra activities that are all I would say work mm -hmm. um, and th all these collaborations for the most for the vet the all of them virtually all of them are done at a distance mm -hmm. um, so as, as uh, a team collaborative work environment mm -hmm. you're relying on these tools to allow you to be collaborative I'm relying on these tools not only to be collaborative, I'm relying on these tools to afford me agency. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't be there in person. It is sometimes difficult to just be on the phone all the time. Right. So they provide me an augmentation of my, my physical presence where I can actually do like a time tunnel or I guess a, a, a communication tunnel across space to actually communicate, you know, in what usually is real time with other people. Mm -hmm. um, so you're putting a lot of faith in these tools. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have much, I don't have much else that I, I don't have much choice. <laughs> um, well, that's interesting. Why you say you don't have much choice, but why are you utilizing these tools 
specifically? Well, so for a number of reasons. Um, part of it is that they've kind of they've they've like the particular choices I've made have, have, from a distance perspective, have become kind of the best of breed of what I can do. So Google provides me almost for free a enterprise suite of services with which to communicate and collaborate um, that particularly benefits the distance worker uh, you know work, working on their own um, they don't have a webex you know per se but google docs is in real time or near real time uh, a really good way of being able to put a document out there and comment and have a chat going on in the same space um, that can be linked to uh, well actually I would argue that they do have a kind of a WebEx thing I guess they, the Google Plus Hangout um, I can launch Google Docs while I'm talking over web chat, webcam with other people or things like that so I mean like there are, there are all sorts of reasons why, mm -hmm. why Google is a really good or it has been a very good backbone mm -hmm. for these things. Um, so you can explain WebEx a little bit. WebEx is a, a virtual conferencing platform. Uh, it, ha it has a, it's usually a suite of like screen sharing, uh, some document sharing, not necessarily collaboration, although there are like whiteboards that mm -hmm. are there, and uh, it allows for to scale in real time. Uh, you know, voice. Communications sometimes uh, can't webcam uh, communications and uh, instant messaging. So yeah, it's another it's another remote collaborative tool set, right? Essentially, but it costs money. Costs sure. a lot of money. Sure. So Google is the free alternative, pretty much. Yes, and they have near ubiquity. Almost pretty much everybody that I collaborate with has a Google account. Which makes it really easy for to use their platform, which is their whole idea. Mm -hmm. So this this kind of falls back into you know the Sparrow instance, right? Absolutely. When when things fail, when things don't work the way that you expect them to, or the things you expect to be there are no longer there. Well, all right, so Sparrow is an interesting, so there's a couple different interesting takes here. The reason why I think, I mean, me slightly disappointed, but I think the reason why I'm hearing the outcry and maybe participating to some degree about Sparrow is because there's this social contract that was that's assumed with, um, with things that you pay for, that if you pay for them, they're going to be yours. Now, in this app store kind of mentality that we've developed, there's a lot of stuff that we've been doing for free. Twitter has mm -hmm. been free. Instagram has been free. When they got a, when, when like Instagram got acquired by Facebook, we're like, eh, well, that's gonna make Instagram suck. But we can't really be disappointed about anything because we didn't pay for it. Right. And we know we, we didn't did, we didn't pay for it, but we certainly invested in it. We invested our time. We certainly invested our our personal moments in it. Right. Right. But. We, but you, we've kind of come to this assumption that if we're not paying for something, then we ourselves are the product. All right, that that's that that's been a meme. It, it, I mean, whether people whether it's believed in mass or not, it is a meme that has picked up, mm -hmm. and I think is, I think it, 
fairly or unfairly, at least captures a sentiment that people can can understand. Okay. All right. Um, so with Sparrow, the fact that I spent my twenty bucks on Sparrow as a desktop app, the fact that I spent five dollars or whatever it was for a, as an app, mm-hmm. right, meant that they're going to invest. You know, this was like this is how you're supposed to do the web. There's a show called The Impromptu. It's another podcast, and and uh, and they, I think, really went, they really captured it well that in. The way that we imagine the web to work today and the way that the markets around the web that are built around and on the web work is that if you pay for something, it's supporting small sustainable businesses, small shops that are cranking out you know really high quality products. Sparrow is a lot more fun, more easy to use, especially if you invest in the Google platform, than Apple's mail default mail clients are, okay? Right. It mirrors all the functionality with a much better interface and user experience than than Gmail has. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a more thoughtfully designed yes. piece of software that serves the same functionality as the given. Yes. Okay. Right. So when Google acquired Sparrow, like part of you is like, yay. As a small business now, they finally cashed in. This is great for them. Mm-hmm. But when now that application is basically being, you know, going to be shelved, you know, you know, they'll they'll provide maintenance updates. Sure. We assume for a time. Hopefully. Hopefully, I mean, so far they have. I mean, yeah. There have been actually two updates since then, so that's not bad. Yeah, it could be. It could be worse. But that's the thing. Is that now it's like, well, it could be worse. It's not going to get better. It's always going to be, well, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. And the idea that we that you go into this is, well, they're going to make it more robust. You know, they have some Facebook integration in there now. You can expect that there's going to be a lot less less support for that. And more and more support for Google Plus integration. You know, that would seem to make sense uh, with Google's acquisition. Um, but Sparrow was probably just going to disappear all eventually altogether because it's eventually they're going to take it off the app store and then you're not going to be able to get it and then if you're already a sparrow user who's depending on on, on sparrow as your have you been depending on sparrow as your main default email client you know that your time is going to run out too you're going to have to now find either go back to apple mail or find a different email client you know on the desktop or on on your on your phone mm-hmm. um so that, that, that's a reason why I think people could get upset about that because there's a it seems like it's a break a, a, a breach of the social contract. Okay. My breach of the social contract is not so much about the you know the acquisition of, of new technologies. It's the fact that the things that I'm depending on are not new. These are staples of Google's you know platform. You know, it's not their search. That's what they are known for. That's their, you know, that's what they came into the market with. But their calendaring, you know, has basically become almost the de facto way in which people calendar now. I mean, it, 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 like, if you're not in enterprise where you're using Lotus, which is fewer and fewer people, I think. And, I'm or, shocked or, it's still around. Or, ex, or an exchange server, which is what most corporations probably still use, right? You're using Google. You're using Google Apps. To do your calendaring, right? And, and there, there's a, there's a lot of new business and new companies that um, support and take on Google Apps versus the Exchange, right? So which brings me to my 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 chain of failure. 
Um, I started having, uh, I started getting calendar requests for things in that were, I didn't ever change my settings. I mean, my settings have been just pretty much the same for the last year. Uh, certainly more than that, but sometimes, you know, these disruptions happen. I don't know why they happen, but they do. And Google changes their UI or they, something, something borks. Mm-hmm. And I come to accept that, you know, I'm like, you know, when you're getting something for free, and they decide to change, like, UI, for example, from an old Google Calendar to a new Google Calendar. You're like, all right, well, this is pretty, and then something's really stuck, and I can't find them. But I accept that they're going to change. Some stuff breaks when they change. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was missing meetings. Like, meetings that I had accepted. People that were depending on me to be at places. And, I, and I'm in a position where I'm not just a lackey anymore that, you know, like, if I don't show up, I get yelled at, but, like, I don't... I don't contribute to the to the overall process. I'm now helping drive processes. I'm helping drive things, projects, and they're, these things are disappearing off my calendars. It was at random. I mean, it's seemingly random. Um, that's a very dangerous predicament to be in as a virtual employee because, especially in my position where so much is built on social capital of reliability, accountability, that your word is your bond. You know, that's why people can trust you to work at a distance. Mm-hmm. If you're not present when you're say you're going to be present that's a problem that in fact that's a problem that happened today i mean i i mean and those, those those are problems that happen in their own right where people expect that you're going to be somewhere but they can't really see with a line of sight that you've actually accepted that you know a meeting invitation that you've even gotten a meeting invitation and we're so and if there's a preponderance of, of messaging you don't sometimes don't even know that you actually got you're supposed to ask for an invite to something. I mean, like, so there's all sorts of social cues and mores that we're abstracting down into the digital medium. All of that said, if the tech fails you when you are assuming that it's that certain things are just supposed to work because they've always just worked, you don't have any legs to stand on. It's like literally like someone who basically just kneecapped you, mm-hmm. and you're like, you don't even know how to recover. Well, it's interesting. Do you th- do you think that these situations and he said, let's let's change that statement from the the tech yeah. when the tech fails. Let's call it a product. Yeah. When the product fails, yeah. You just find another product. As far as like a tangible product type of situation goes. If yes. if if your phone yes. dies, you buy, you, phone. you buy another phone. Yes. If your computer is on the fritz, you scramble to find some sort of replacement, right. but you can still buy another computer. Right. Do you think that it's be it's it's pretty much it's this is a product design issue in a way. Well, it is a product design issue in some ways. But it, but because the, the, I would say it was specific to the to, to calendaring and instant messaging, the connectedness, the network effect of why these tools are even in existence to begin with, maybe not so much with email clients, but certainly with email providers. You know, and I would say, and I would definitely argue with calendaring platforms from a provider perspective. It's not as simple as switching the tool. I can move from iCal as a client, which by the way fails quite often with Google products. Um, and I can switch to Outlook, which doesn't work with Google products at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right? 
But that doesn't fix the fundamental problem that because I have to do all my calendaring through Google because work does it, and because my, these people that I'm collaborating with use Google also, that it doesn't essentially fix the problem. All of us together would have to switch platforms. So you have a network effect which actually becomes a service design issue, in my opinion. Because okay. you can't even get approach the systems design, you can't even approach the product design, you know, we're at a client perspective, or even a user experience perspective, until you can address like why is the service itself not failing on me at that at that level. Mm-hmm. So, to tech, as a technical product, you're you're claiming it's it's a service issue. I'm claiming as a designer who's trying to diagnose where 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 the fault has to lie, it's got to go it's got to go to that part. Because let's let's not kid ourselves, it works. Majority, majority of, of the time it totally works. Absolutely, majority of the time this stuff works. But it totally they're, screwed me this week. Fantastic <laughs> tools, but this week was a bad week. Yes. Um. <laughs> so alternative. So what I did was I I, I got so upset that I opened up a, an exchange account. Mm-hmm. I, I went out and I bought a private uh, exchange server to in, and set up an exchange account. And what I realized is that isn't going to help me at all. <laughs> Why? Uh, because from at a protocol level, <laughs> I can't get Outlook uh, to talk to Google's Gmail or G Calendar service at all. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and since Apple has changed their protocols on the on the OS, the tools that used to be able to help sync those things up for you don't work at all either anymore. So I can't. can't well, it's interesting because I mean that's. That's having the way that I see it and the way that I watched this happen. <laughs> like I was around when all this was happening. And you went from a digital product to another digital product. That doesn't logic logically in some cases they could argue like, well that shouldn't work. That should just that's that's well this one didn't work. Let's try the same thing over here and see if that works. An alternative, like completely on the other side of it, would have pulled out a, a, a notebook planner to make a phone call, to confirm over voice, hey, we have a meeting set on Tuesday. Yes, and that's likely what I'm gonna have to start doing. So which is which is which is a which is in some ways good. And it's certainly viable. Sure. Alright. But is also a real drag because when when people have to change their things, there's no notification system on my end that anything's going to change. A phone call, if, a text message. But the, again, it requires that other people are going to call me or text message me. All right. It requires that then also that if they're going to call me, that that call goes through to me, mm-hmm. that that text message goes through to me, which I've already seen fails on that side too. So the the there the reason why I went to another digital tools because when I one of the reasons is when I look at the potential ways in which the system can break down with another alternative that is not a completely digital solution there are more breakpoints and from a from a systems perspective being that I do a little bit of systems design I just kind of my, my take is I'm going for the least amount of potential breakpoints possible. Mm-hmm. Even if the 
the breakpoints in of themselves may be less un, less likely to happen. Uh, the chan- the chances that something's going to break multiply with every bre- potential breakpoint. So, I've said I said earlier that you know these are these are tools that work mm-hmm. majority of the time. 90 percent 95 99.9 for some people I'll go 99% I'll go 99% of the time I'll give I'll give a credit it's the one percent that hurts like a bitch (laughs) so I mean we rely a lot on these tools yeah because people remember the one percent in which you failed them they they tend to overlook the 99% of the time that you're totally on it so (laughs) it's it's Interesting because it's we rely on these tools. Why? Why are we putting so much faith in these things? I didn't create any of these. You didn't create any of these things. We have very little control over these tools that we wield. I know. And, and it's frightening, especially when, with people like us who, who should know better. <laughs> and that was going to be my next point. <laughs> Um, l- logically, we shouldn't be upset when a service that we like goes away. We shouldn't be upset when Sparrow disappears. We shouldn't be upset because something we didn't create wore out. We we don't have the same conversations. If if our if our vacuum cleaner all of a sudden breaks. You just go buy a new vacuum cleaner. It's I think I think it's really interesting is that it's it's this strange connection that we have to these digital tools versus the very tangible physical products. Well, let, let me let me let me challenge some of that assumption. And I now I'm kind of understanding the whole designing opinion thing, and this is good because I I need some opinion designed for me. That's good. Um, the let's talk about iTunes purchases. Okay. Okay. I've purchased a ton of music. Okay. ITunes. I've probably ripped a whole, like eighteen times more. Okay. Most of it legal. Ripped physical yeah, from phys- physical, from physical discs. Okay. Okay. I sold off the physical discs. Mm-hmm. Okay. I now have the the digital. Okay. Music, okay. Uh, and uh, and I, I converted my entire library. I had like a thousand CDs or something like that. Some ridiculous number. All right, back in like 1999, 2000. Mm-hmm. And then like in 2001, 2002. Yeah. The iPod came out. I was like, I'm ripping everything. And I did. And I bought like, I, I went crazy. I you put a, all thousand songs in your pocket. All, th- all thousand CDs I put on iTunes. I, I filled that five gigabyte iPod uh-huh. all right, that, I, that my wife got for a holiday. It was like maybe like $700 at the time. I put, I basically stole that from her. And I put like, I filled that iPod and I wore that thing to the ground. Okay. And... To support this system, I bought like two 500 gigabyte drives or you know whatever the insane drive I could buy at the time was, and it was Physi- like, physical hard drives, physical hard drives, external drives, ridiculous money. Okay, okay. yeah, back then, oh like, yeah, and those drives eventually, like a couple of years later, melted mm-hmm. on me. 
and I lost everything. Mm -hmm. Now, at that time, I knew I couldn't recover the stuff that I had already wrecked. But I had purchased a whole bunch of stuff off of iTunes, yet I couldn't get them back. Because at the time, iTunes didn't say iTunes didn't have a mechanism for that's right. It didn't. It didn't uh, record your purchase history. So oh, it, it did. It totally did. It just couldn't go back and say, "Oh, look, there wasn't you did a, buy the here. We'll give it back." To there you. wasn't an interface uh, or a service that was built into the system that said, "Oh, you need to redownload all your your purchases." Well, here you go. Right. Even though they were all DRM. In the in the age of piracy and the the concerns and scare tactics of right. people stealing. So the challenge I was left with was I'm like, well, I bought those. Those are mine. But I couldn't have them. Right. Now, your argument about how, well, we shouldn't be that concerned that tied to these tools. I'm like, but, but the music was a resource. That was my resource that mm -hmm. I had paid for. All right. And property rights being, you know, the equivalent of a CD purchase. Uh, in a vir in a virtual space, did not come with the same affordances that a CD purchase would give me. Right. It it feels that over the last few years, um, copyright law and copyright definitions mm -hmm. have have I don't know either changed or just become more spotlit. Well, because you could you can no, say I, because I, based on based on copyright mm -hmm. copyright definition. You never really owned those CDs anyway. It's true. You owned the right to listen to them. Yes. Um, so then there again, paying for a digital equivalent, you don't really own it. You're just paying for access to it. Right. But now you've even paid for the access and you don't have it anymore. Right. So, so now I'm in a position where, it, so this is, this is interesting because I was thinking about this this morning and I hadn't been thinking about it in this particular context. Um, I became an RDO subscriber RDO is mm -hmm. a lot like uh, Spotify okay right similar type of service similar type of value proposition you're, you're paying for access I'm paying for access okay um, but because it's so easy for me to use and everything in their in their cloud is basically available to me as a subscriber since I have access to it I've really not listened to iTunes at all. My iTunes library, even all the music that I've, I've, I've legitimately purchased, the stuff that I was able to rip or whatever, I haven't used iTunes at all except for to watch movies that I've already you know purchased, some of that for my kids, things that aren't on Netflix. Mm -hmm. okay? um, that's about it. Otherwise, or, or music that I love and can't find on RDO. Right. And every once in a while there is something. I've, right. Okay? That's about it. And it occurred to me this morning, I'm like, I'm looking at my my Mac Mini that I have at home, which is basically my like my media the, server. The music now. server. Now it's on my music server. And I was like, I could probably delete everything off there except for the things that aren't on audio. And I'm totally, totally okay with that. And then the thought occurred to me, I'm like, well, what happens if audio closed down? Mm -hmm. What do I do then? Now, part of me has looked at the trends of music for the last several years, and online, you know, online music and digital, how digital music, that whole business works, and the reality is that getting access to music in some way or another, if you're willing to pay even a, a small fee now, right, it's easy. So I can reasonably count on the stuff that I can readily find on both Spotify and RDO, I'll be able to find somewhere else should, should you know, the apocalypse happen. Mm-hmm. 
it's the stuff that I can't get on any of those services that I actually need to host myself. Right. It's it's the things that are still on vinyl that never made the transition. Right. Right. Um, that's interesting. I know I I too have an audio account, and it became it came with the awareness that I don't. Well, let me let me step back one step because I've had that same hard drive meltdown thing happen. Yeah. I I was I used Napster when I was in high school. Napster ruined my view of paying for music. I oh my gosh, it's available. I no longer have to buy. It was music. a better user experience. It was a better user experience. It, it well, I mean, it was what it was was. I could look at your drive and I could see what you're listening to and I could actually share in what you're doing. I'm like, absolutely, I want part absolutely, of that. Absolutely, but it also did, besides devalue music, it enforced or it initiated the thought that I just want to, I can have access to things when I want access to them. I don't have to buy an album anymore. I just have to go pull up Napster, type in what I was looking for, and then it is, and there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I find the services like RDO and Spotify so interesting. I'm not buying for something to own anymore. I'm just buying, I'm paying for access to the things when I want access to them. Same goes with uh, Netflix. Netflix streaming, Netflix Instant. Um, granted, if their catalog was three or four times as diverse. Oh, just freaking just update it once in a while. Seriously, Netflix, if you're listening, dudes. But yeah, I mean, the, the combination of... Or get acquired by Apple and just let them freaking stream. I mean, seriously. I don't... Right. Like, I don't necessarily want to own... I don't buy DVDs anymore. I was a huge I, movie collector. I was huge. I still have my my bookcases full of collector editions when they first came out of a DVD. It's it's kind of silly to think about I now. Two, I have two of them now, and right? I never use them. The collector edition of a DVD. Eh, okay. There isn't really anything really collectible on it, except the fact that it was just available for the first time in that format. Um I don't buy DVDs anymore. I don't even use my DVD player. And I have I bought, Netflix. I bought a brand new one. I bought a brand new one when I moved it into this house, and I and I don't even use it. I don't buy DVDs anymore. I just use my Netflix account. Again, I don't have to own it. I'm just paying for access to the things that I want when, ideally, I want access to them. Um. So yeah, what happens when all these things go away? If if and when they do. What happens if RDO goes away? Is it because of a change in the the music landscape? What's my personal opinion going to be on that should it happen, when it happens? Do I care anymore at that point? Have I just gone on to something else? See, I, I I used to think that I would care a great a great deal. I, I was an advocate of I want to own my own stuff, and then I started realizing I'm like you know the co- the cost to myself of owning all of this inf- digital information of which a lot of it I don't use. For example, I don't know why, but I had every single Dave Matthews Band album. 
We I'm, were all young. Dude. It's okay. I, I, we I, were all young. Like, half the albums I had, I inherited from somebody else. Like, when I, like when my drives crashed and somebody else was well, here, you just take my library. Okay, well, now I ended up with Dave Matthews' band. I'm never going to listen to it, but yet I store all of it. I have, I torrented, like, every Springsteen album. I like Springsteen, mm-hmm. okay? But some of his later albums, kind of crap. Yet I have them in flawless, you know, flawless <laughs> MPEG. Of course. And, and like and like every Queen album, you know, I love Queen. Not every album track is the track I absolutely need to have. And the reality is that Ardio has all three of those artists, right? Their entire catalogs at my ready if I want them, and they cost me the exact same amount that it cost me to download Boston Third Stage, because which is an album that I already own, that I already have in iTunes, and I don't even listen to it there. I have it on RDO because mm-hmm. it's easier for me to just I can count on the fact that I can search for it and it'll just be there. Well, I mean, as far like that that's getting into a a commercialism and a purchasing discussion <laughs> too. Um, the people that buy every Bob Dylan album because it's Dylan. Yeah. The people that buy every Springsteen album because it's Bruce. They don't really care if it's good or bad right. it's just they buy it i've i have uh good friends that and that own the entire pearl jam collection mm-hmm. live bootlegs and all and i'm sitting there i'll listen to a few like i'm not nearly as big of a music fan as i used to be i think just age and times and opinions change on well, music well but to that to that perspective though there's now so much more music that you are exposed to sure because you have so many other channels. Sure. But but those of you, those people that continue to buy per an artist. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you think about that one? I, I, I listened to it. I didn't think it was that great. And they, they'll admit, eh, it wasn't one of their better ones. <laughs> but you still bought it. You still own it. Is uh, it worth still owning something that great. is not quite up to your standard of quality? So here's where, here's where the argument comes full circle. Okay. Trent Reznor will come out with an album and I'll go and buy it even though I know I could probably stream it and the reason why is because I believe in promoting the business that is Trent Reznor because mm-hmm. I, lo- I, I value Trent Reznor as an artist I used to feel the same way about Prince and now he just it turns out so much crap that I just like, I can't justify it doing that anymore even though I still love Prince I will still stalk him in his mansion in Minnetonka but right that's a Minnesota purple mansion anyway my point is that, that you start per- making some of these purchases out of a sense of loyalty, mm-hmm. right? Because as an artist, they've represented something, okay? Um, I'm, in, the, in the app world, there's similar types of things. Smule. For example, right? Made, made uh, they 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 focus on really interesting musical apps. Okay. Right. The uh, the ocarina. The ocarina. Right. I mean, I I bought I that right think away. They it made was, the IMT Pain app they, as well. They did. They did indeed. They made the. Uh, so yeah, really interesting uh, things. Really interesting stuff, right? Oh, there's stuff that they have 
and I don't use Smule as a, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I use, mostly use my phone for productivity, but mm-hmm. I, I will make sure that I download for Smule the occasional T Pain phone for call. The, t- the t- occasional T Pain phone call, or I want to make a wrap out of reading, you know, technical specifications. Sure. Or uh, now, I like yesterday, this morning, there was a karaoke, there's a karaoke app, so I downloaded that too. Why? Not of anything, but the fact that because they make quality stuff, I want to. I want to download it. I mm-hmm. want to. To me, it's a recognition. It's like the like button. It's like you're I'll su- download it. You're supporting right? their efforts with your dollars. Yes, or at least with my bandwidth. Mm-hmm. You know, because some of the stuff is free. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like pay per use or sure whatever. Um, with uh, with Sparrow, I bought it for the desktop because it solved a real problem that I had, which is that, like. M- the synchronization between Apple's default mail client or Outlook, which I just didn't really want to use Outlook, um, and Gmail's backbone wasn't all that great mm-hmm. versus Sparrow, which was, was like seamless and brilliant. And when it came out for the iPhone, before I even recognized, thought about, do I need this? I was like, I'll pay five bucks. Mm-hmm. Because I've, I was transferring trust that what they did, what they did for me on the desktop, brought them instant credibility with me on, on on the phone, even though it's a completely different channel, a different medium. And and from that, for that perspective, I'm just like I want to support, especially this goes about the social contract. I want to support them as a small business because if one day I'm going to have a small business, and I would hope that if I do quality work, people would continue to want to quality, to, to to support me. So if we're if we're supporting the artist, the artist, the, the the artist, the content provider, the the independent developer, the product maker. Mm-hmm. If we're if we're supporting these product makers with our our finances, with our dollars, with our our speaking of and spreading the word of, if our social clout mm-hmm. supports them, do you feel that? the the product maker has responsibilities to those that have invested into them well my my perspective speaking for the things that I do and the things that I've championed and the ways in which people are investing in me and, and the things that I'm advocating for is yes I feel a, I feel a tremendous debt to the people who are betting on me uh, or betting on the things that I'm support advocating for mm-hmm. um, uh, whether it's based on a personal relationship or based on shared ideals or whatever I feel a sense of if not debt uh, at least a, a sense of obligation to do the right thing and the do the right thing is a very is a social contract. It's a very social contracty look, way of looking at things, right? So, what do you consider as doing the right thing? So, I work in the I work in the, I work in technology standards and specifications for the most part, and, and I helped to bring about a standard that has been the de facto standard in the learning industry for the last ten years. Okay. Now it is it is not the reason why e-learning is so is kind of limited in its scope or in what it's able to do. 
But uh, it's definitely contributed to it because when it becomes the technical backbone or infrastructure, the plumbing behind the scenes, and it can only deal with certain uh, certain degrees of radiation between hot and cold water in terms of plumbing, if you want to take that metaphor. You know, I had a hand in helping make that happen. I, fe- I feel a tremendous obligation to write the perceived wrong that people feel in terms of wanting to be able to do more with technology that is already at their that is already available to them but the limitations of the technology are based are are somewhat based on constraints that were imposed by something that I did I helped to do Mm -hmm. okay and it's not that they were bad decisions they were the best decisions that you could make given the context of the time that it was in right right I mean, every... It's what was best at the time. It, it was the best thing we could do at the time. It may not have been the best at the time, mm-hmm. but it was the best that we could do at the time, okay? And that, that gap between the present and the ideal present at that point, right, and the trade-offs that you have to make in order to get something done, because we all make trade-offs when we're trying to ship, mm-hmm. right? It's the difference between sitting in an academic bubble and stewing on what is the best thing we could possibly do, but having really no constraints placed on you in terms of time or resources to come up with that answer versus you know people actually have jobs to do we actually have to get things done you right know? And, and that balance striking that balance it 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 didn't create something that could that let that it outlived its use you know it's it's maximum use mm-hmm. um, so I feel a debt to do better and even the thing that I'm doing now, I feel a debt that I need to make sure that even though I know five years from now, four years from now, because of the rate of technology change, something better is going to come along to, or a bigger need is going to surface than what we're built designing now can actually fulfill. Uh-huh. At least what I could do is build into the system and the services that go along with how this community is working to build this open source technology, it means to replace myself so that somebody else could do a better job than I did. So you're very you're very invested in this open source community. Yes. You're you've you've invested a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of resources, a lot of, yes. a lot of research, a yes. lot of um, cheerleading yes. for this thing. Absolutely. So you don't even know how well the end result pans out. You're absolutely right. I don't. So it. So let's take it in two ways. Number one, you've invested all this time and energy, and the end result just fails miserably. Yep. Nobody, nobody latches on. Nobody. All of a sudden, it ships, and nobody really cares. Nobody has the interest there anymore. And you leave. Okay. It didn't pan out. No. I'm going to go do something else. Right. Are you still are you still responsible for the thing that you built? I think I think you're always responsible for what you've made. You know, you can't. Well, let's put it this way: you can't unmake what you've made. All right, you can. Try and separate yourself from it. I mean, you know, but it's like Lucas walking away from Star Wars. You know, some say he should. Well, he, well, he should have taken. He should take a little bit more space. You right. Know? 
But, you know, it, or it would say it's like Lucas walking away from Howard the Duck. Some say he should. In <laughs> <laughs> both right. cases, they're true. I mean, right. both cases are true, but at the same point... You we know, can't forget the fact you can't, that was a Lucas film. Right. That was both a Lucas and Marvel Comics film. The exactly. earliest, the earliest, I think, example of a Marvel Comics film. Maybe depending on when the uh, original the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. No, no, no. You got, you got to go with the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Roger Corman uh, Fantastic Four Captain America. Oh, the thing that never saw the light of day. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't really count yeah, those. Yeah, they yeah, never, they never yeah, beat yeah, it. Yeah, that's where you got to go. Anyway. But, but I'm saying, like, you still you still have a responsibility to these things that you built. Is Jack. that because you built them, or is it because the the audience that you've built it for was so invested in it? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, like, so whether it's Lucas and Star Wars and the audience that has embra- embraced it and then sometimes revile it, all right, or it's me and, you know, my small slice of the, you know, whatever slice I might be able to call mine in the e-learning community, and, uh, or, or you're talking about uh, jobs at Apple, mm-hmm. okay? I mean, it's easy to go back to the jobs metaphor, right? <laughs> but I mean, like, but it's a good one because it's yeah. iconic. He, he was Apple, right? Well, he, but Wozniak was also Apple. But Wozniak was also Apple. True. Okay. Who? Jonathan who, Ive is Apple. Currently, okay. yeah. Can Jonathan Ive walk away from Apple and divorce himself completely from Apple and be not responsible for the design decisions in Apple? I think so. I think he could. Apple from then on? But would people would people still... Would people let it go? Would people let it go? Would no. people even care? No, there's somebody else in there. Dude, it may not be as good of a product, but it's not disappearing, I think, is part of it. Well, if, so, if, Apple, so, so here, if Apple as a whole said, you know what? We're done. Hands are, hands are wiped. We're cashing out. We're gonna we're gonna sell we're gonna pay off all of our investors. The company is shutting down. We just want to go do something else. Is it am I am I gonna be upset that some of my favorite products aren't gonna be created any longer? Yeah, well, you are. Or uh, well, well, I don't know. Or am I just gonna simply find another product? Well, I'll, I'll right. tell you. I'll and tell why? You. And why would that make even more of a difference? Is it because Apple has been around for X amount of years versus um, independent startups and developers that seem to have a one to two year kind of cycle? They come out, they produce a product for a couple of years, they get purchased by somebody else, and the product goes away. Well, I'll tell you. So. Apple makes an interesting use case. It's not maybe a fair use case, but I'll, I'll bring it. It probably isn't. Okay. So in 78, my, my dad comes home with an Apple II Plus. My entire, I was five years old. It's five years old. Okay. For those of you doing math. Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. Um, 
And we've been an Apple. Fa- well, I've been in an Apple family ever since. Mm-hmm. I never went to PC. You know, like I had a PC when I was in college right. or, or after college because you know I was dabbling. You know, but, right. <laughs> I was experimenting. I experimented with Windows ninety eight, but <laughs> I think everybody did just a little bit. I tried Win Me. Sorry, it was bad. Ooh. It was bad. Ooh. It was bad. Anyway, but I've always been an Apple. So when Jobs resigned. Before he died, when he mm-hmm. resigned, I cried. I cried. I cried partially because of what the man represents in terms of just like, you know, design ethos and things like that, and mm-hmm. just like just the tremendous sense of accomplishment of an entrepreneur. And oh, yeah. Stuff like that. I cried more because he has had a hand in designing the things that have made me, that have shaped me. If we take a look from an anthropological perspective, we are somewhat the products of our tools. Okay. Okay. Our use of tools helps shape, you know, our interactions, who we are, right? And by, and that might sound like heresy, but but I, I think it's true. You know, the you know we shape the tools, but the tools also shape us. Um, so the fact that I've grown up. In an Apple environment means that the, this these this open source project that I'm working on maybe wouldn't be possible without the tool the very tools that I grew up using that helped shape the thing what I was doing with the tools when I was using them to create this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a standard of quality, a standard well, of it's an beauty it's an and aesthetic. I mean, it's beyond and, beauty, and it's, it's more it's more than just a. a a visible physical aesthetic. It's an it's, ethos. It's a functional aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. You expect it, an Apple product mm-hmm. to work. Yeah, absolutely. And and when Jobs was resigning, I knew, I felt like no matter like I'm sure that the company's going to go on and do great things. Jonathan Navai was there. Mm-hmm. All the people who, all the team. Yeah. That really makes all this stuff is still there, but you start doing a head count but, of who's still in charge of but, what department. But, but but that's what I'm saying. Is that you start itemizing, and you and I start thinking I'm like, well, but the guy who's holding that vision up, the mirror to themselves, saying, you know, saying, this is the point on the horizon we're still going to, we're not there yet. That guy wasn't going to be there anymore. Right. And. When that guy isn't there anymore, you got somebody new who's acting as your compass, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily that's that's not always a bad thing. A lot of time, and a lot of times, for a lot of companies, it's a really good thing. Look but at for, uh, look at Yahoo like and it, its new. Well, we'll see. Well, all, our our we'll, hopeful, we'll see. the hopeful navigation. We'll we'll, we'll see, but I, I would say, but you know, with Apple, who's going to be Jobs? Who can do that? Who can be that guy? Mm-hmm. Okay. He he's to, in his own words. He wanted to put a dent in the sky. Well, he put a lot of dents in the sky, mm-hmm. right? And when I knew that that guy wasn't going to be able to put dents in the sky anymore, I I wept because that's not. So my my faith in Apple is it may have, it started with uh, an adherent, you know, a belief that they could consistently produce things that I could use. Mm-hmm. And eventually transcended into, 
this belief that they can create that pretty much anything they create I'm going to get mm-hmm. and that's why you have fanboys okay well you also that also explains or is an example of explaining quality and functional designed products yeah it isn't because they're expected to work it's because the person behind their production says they're going to work. So to bring this back around, the tools that we utilize, the digital tools that we utilize that we expect to work are our calendars and our address books and our, our email and our, our methods of contacting and communicating with each other are we putting more emphasis or more trust into products that we don't have any say in and maybe that's not quite no that's that's not quite right no i i think i think it is right and and I think that that I mean, like you, yeah, I'm sure there are focus groups or all these things where customers. And we don't and stuff. we don't really have any say we don't, in Apple either. We don't have any say in what they do. No, they, they don't all. design. They don't. I mean, even jo- the the Jaws biography and everybody that comes out of Apple, they say that they don't design with focus groups in mind. They design no. for what they want. Right. You know, we happen to you know, and if we like it, then we we subscribe. Right. Okay. It's the mind. I, I think subscription is really what it comes down to. Is that you know when you subscribe to something you have to eventually unsubscribe. So you unsubscribe when the product fails. Or when it just doesn't serve you anymore. Or when it just or when you've outgrown it. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. And the 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 challenge and this might be something to muse on for another episode. The challenge is that in some spaces right now and I would argue that scheduling and calendaring are among them. You can unsubscribe from your the provider of that service, mm-hmm. but it's not like you can. Ju- it's not like a laptop, a physical thing, where if you don't like your Apple laptop, you, there's other laptop makers available to you. There are other calendaring systems available to you, but they don't necessarily work with the people that you're that you already have to network with and when and even if they do you know like the there's a cost involved there are things other things at play and so there it's it's always a a series of choices it's always a series of trade-offs it's it's an economic decision i mean whether it's money or 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 choice there's a scarcity involved do you feel do you feel that that's a a digital product trait more than a physical product trait? I kind of think so, but I, a lot of it I think is due to the fact that we are... There are so many silos that are that have been built up to kind of... They look like golden handcuffs, okay? Um, you can work, for example, like, you know, some companies have extremely awesome benefits. And the longer that you're there, the more vested you become in those benefits. Right. Right? But it also makes it harder to leave, especially when they do really, really crappy things. Mm-hmm. And they, do, they start to treat you, you as an employee 
in a way that you really don't want to be treated, but yet you're so invested in all the other tangibles. They're not intangibles. I have I have insurance. I have, I have, a, I have a great insurance plan. 401k. I have a vacation time. Right. I have a great retirement account, you know, all health savings account, all these things, you know. It makes it very difficult to leave. Mm-hmm. And so you start dealing with less and less and less. And um, the, the challenge that becomes, especially in the digital environment, with digital tools and digital services, is that like I can leave RDO, for example, to just bring that back. I can leave RDO. All my playlists that I've created are going to still stay there. I don't get to take them with me. There's no export mechanism for that out. Right. I can take out all the Google Plus data that I have. I can find ways to transfer over maybe or auto forward to all my Gmail, you know, my gigabytes and gigabytes now of Gmail into another system. I can export my entire calendar as ICS files and find a way somehow to convert them into exchange if I couldn't just do it any other way. But it's like like all of these th- like Because they, because they are a standardized format. They are they are universal. Yes. Ideally. I can do that. But what are my alternatives? Because the alternatives look more and more the same. Mm-hmm. And part of the the challenge that I see, uh, particularly with my particular fail, is that the the tools that we have have not matured with the changes in what we need them for. They're not me. They haven't matured with the evolving world in which they're they're placed in the world that they currently exist in yeah so are there are there solutions is there is there an opportunity here to really focus in this this small because this, this is a fairly small little area what calendaring yeah I don't know how small it is. Every business in the world runs on schedules. <laughs> no, people interoperate. Maybe people it's interoperate. maybe it's simply perceived as if they if it's even perceived at all. But so it, the system failed. System. My system failed me. System failed. A system failed you. Yeah, it's really not fair. mass outage. Not well, mass outage, although yes, there there was there was an outage that day on another side of the server farm, yes. but um, it it affected you specifically. Yes. So is it is that honestly enough to because it failed once one person? No, it's not. It's not enough. Is that enough to really investigate? No. Should there be a solution? Or does it simply raise questions as to our associations to these tools, our, our commitments to them? Or does it just remind us that these things essentially are disposable? I find it interesting that you talk about our commitments to the tools. How so? As if we must, as if we have a inherent, as if there is an inherent need for us to subscribe to the tools, versus the tools working for us. 
Well, we wield tools. We use tools. We use tools. We use but tools as people, as business people, as workers, as, I don't know, as if you want to go as far as as humans, we yeah. use tools. Right. But the tools use us. Depending. Some, to, some, some do, right? Some tools are the systems of our employment. Some tools are my embarrassingly terrible commitment to Facebook and my addiction to checking statuses every 20 minutes or whatever. But th that's something that I am very aware of and can control. I put enough effort into it. I put enough thought into it. I, c I leave those habits and those traits away. I can put those away. Do I still need to use a calendar? Could I use a notebook? Could I use a phone call? Could I, if I'm so upset in tools that I didn't create disappearing, can I create my own tool set that works in the same system? Trying to, I'm trying to end us so that we don't have a three-hour podcast. But you're bringing up. You're, We're only at an hour and ten minutes. Know, we can go. But <laughs> my, 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 I guess, I guess the the one point I would make, I, and I, I got unfortunately, I do got to kind of close it up. Is there be, the more like especially working and collaborating at a distance? There becomes. In some cases, it's a spoken requirement, some, but it, it's even unspoken requirement that your the tools will mediate the collaboration. Right. And therefore, more and more of the tools that we use should be collaborative, should be common channels of exchange. It's it's expected to reply instantly when you get an email. Right. So, for example, like my personal calendar, I share my busy and free information with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. People that you wouldn't think necessarily need to know that information, but it makes it easier in terms of setting expectations in terms of when when am I actually going to be available? Mm -hmm. When might I be available? Because we're increasingly, especially because with the amount of projects that I do with well, I mean, various the, people, the, the always-on mentality is that right. I'm not already busy, then I'm available. And that's that's a degree of life management too. Absolutely. That's that's personal. I block off that's, your block personal off, life management. I block off busy time in my Gmail calendar so that I have dinner time with kids. Yeah, sure. Yeah, things like that. So. So where to next? How do, how do we wrap this thing up? Well, I, I think it's important to talk about like what are the... What are... What are so, so let's let's look at the design aspects of just just, just the, the the last hour or so of, of conversation. Okay, um, there are there are so there's are some service promises. Mm -hmm. Some are explicitly stated by the tools. Mm -hmm. Some are socially Im implied. Some are socially implied by, by the creator of the tool. By the creator of the tool and. I would say the market in which that tool resides. Okay. Okay. Sparrow being a really good example. Right. RDO, iTunes, all those sure. know, services being examples of that. 
there are there is and we didn't really go into this very much but there is really the the uh, I guess what the tools you use say about you just by them being associated with you or being present so the fact that I you I rely on Google Calendar the fact that I'm using an iPhone mm-hmm. and rely and rely almost really entirely on Apple products mm-hmm. um, and then I have like all the Apple products mm-hmm. And then you're utilizing Google software. Well, I'm using Google software, and what the combination says about me, and you know the fact that I use Skype, and you know, that I have all these different means of communication, and collaboration, you know, that assume, oh, he's highly available, he's highly, you know, accessible, mm-hmm. and then when the tools fail. The different ways in which, from from my own perspective, from from me as a service provider, okay, as a consultant, as a collaborator, all right, as a coworker, what it says about me when the when the mediums that I communicate by are failing, mm-hmm. even if they're almost entirely always working, except for these one or two times. The miscommunication that that is that is is construed from there. So you're 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 you've painted this representation of yourself as somebody who's available, can be reachable, and then reachable through these tools. Right. So when the tools fail, you don't assume that the tools are failing. You, you don't assume that, that the tools are failing. You assume that I don't have my my shit together. You're all of a sudden irresponsible. Right. Misrepresentate, misrepresented, mm-hmm. represented, yeah. and that affects you directly. Absolutely. So we just make products that don't fail. Well, you—it's impossible, right? It's, it's entirely impossible. And to your point, Google's uptime is you know pretty impeccable. Pretty, pretty good. It's it's for pretty, free, right? It's pretty damn good. <laughs> Skype, right. still pretty damn good for free. Though I though I do pay for Skype. I do too. Right. Correct. Um, so the model doesn't really work. That right? It goes back to that. Goes brings us back to the social contract. It, it, right. It goes back into the social contract. If we if we pay for something to support it, we're expected. It's expected to be around for a while. And I if think. If and, I, and if we're using something. At, to, that uh, that we are relying on as a business, and it speaks to in, in everybody's acceptance of that as being a reliable service. Mm. When it fails you as an individual versus a complete shared outage, which everybody gets, mm-hmm. you know? like when Gmail goes down, everybody goes down. Sure. So do does that is that enough? Where we as users of tools who are invested in their uptime and invested in their functionality, is that enough to invest in the people making the tools? Marco Marco Arment of Instapaper has said a number of times um, that this kind of stems, he's, a, he's certainly an advocate for paying for services. Yeah. Pay for the service to keep it around. Yeah. I think we've learned recently that 
Like that doesn't mean that they're going to be around. Right. Look at services like Dropbox. Mm-hmm. Dropbox, Apple made an offer to purchase Dropbox. Mm-hmm. The founder, for life of me, I can't remember his name at the moment, said, thanks for the offer. I think we're going to stick this out. They committed to building a product and not just building a product to turn around and sell the product. I, believe, I really believe that they're, they're trying to build a product that's going to last for a long time. Yeah. So when a number of unknown, unheard of, independent developers come out with a product that solves a problem and people invest it, Mm-hmm. Financially, socially, mm-hmm. is it that? What are they really investing in? I guess are they investing in the product? Are they investing in the temporary solution? Well, are they investing in the people building it? I, I think I think there's there's probably I mean I think there's various models, but I, I think that there is still a, a common cycle of you first invest in something because it actually fixes something that's broken for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or it makes your it makes your juice juicier. Whatever. You know? Um and if they're consistently good at it, um, either in improving the very thing that you're that you've already kind of invested in in some degree that continues to make your juice even juicier or solve even more of your problem or solve side problems that you know that that you had or mm-hmm. solve more problems that you even knew about that, that only become problems that are, are problems are only problems because now there's a solution for them that you didn't realize that yeah, was even in the realm of possibility you know push notifications for example you mm-hmm. didn't know that that was something that you needed until you had it <laughs> I still shut them off. I know, but... I don't use a lot of them. But still, you have them. But they are there. They're there. And they are tied to specific functions. But certainly not 20-some going off throughout the course of an hour. I'm I'm with you. But my my, my point is that, like, these these little innovations all of a sudden, when when, when someone can continually make it better Mm -hmm. for you... You start to transition eventually from belief in your, or, or support of the tool to support of the designer, to support of the maker. Okay, and you know you, you like for example you loved um, uh, Pretty Hit Machine. Okay, sure. Awesome album. Everybody loves that album. That's a fantastic right. album. Groundbreaking. Right. Now he could have had the sophomore slump, and they could have come out with a, a horrible second album. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. Right, downward spiral, like double down Even all the better. things that made it awesome. Right, right. So all of a sudden, you're kind of like, I believe anything that Nine Inch Nails could put out is going to be pretty awesome. High degree of awesome possibility. Right, probability at that. So point. you're so, but again. You're not investing in the band as a whole because most people are uh, who are unfamiliar with the band yeah. expect a band in the traditional sense. Right. Those those fans that actually know Nine Inch Nails was one person. Yeah. Trent Reznor. Right, but 
my, my point is that you 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 bought into Nine Inch Nails, right? Okay, whether it's the, you know it's the man, and then you buy into Trent Reznor, and you buy into Trent Reznor. So, you know, you know, and then he does all sorts of really interesting things, and then he decides to no longer do Nine Inch Nails, but now he's going to do like instrumental albums, and so he starts really and film films. scores and film scores, and now you're downloading film scores that you're not like like. I don't know anybody who actually went out and watched uh, the remake of uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay. Right? I didn't go and see the remake. I DVD'd right? it. Yeah. I Netflixed it. Whatever. But you know what? Because I couldn't get that album on uh, audio, I bought the album. Absolutely bought the album. I downloaded it. Had a great cover of Immigrant Song with Karen O. Yeah. No joke. <laughs> like, like I'm like, really? You're going to cover Zeppelin? And you know what? They rocked the shit out of that song. Uh-huh. That's the opening credits of the yeah. film. Like, that's that's amazing. So, my my point being that sight unseen, not even seeing the movie, mm-hmm. I bought the soundtrack for it because you invested because so you invested, invested in, in the right. I'm like, you know, it, there was a time where Prince could record himself crapping on the toilet, and I would have bought it because it's Prince. Right. Right. I mean, once you make Purple Rain, and then you you know, and you've already recorded 1999, mm-hmm. and then you make Around the World in a Day, mm-hmm. and then you come up with Sign of the Times. All right, you're gonna. There is nothing that, that man's gonna put out that you're not gonna listen to. It's just not. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. I mean, this was. This this was the conversation that I was hoping to have. Yeah. We're going from investing in products that are temporary uh-huh. to really investing in the creators. Yeah. If we want products to last, we really need to be the ones that create them. And we need to kind of have the control over those products. Mm-hmm. But if we're investing all of this time, energy, commitment into things that we don't have a hand in... Mm-hmm. We should possibly consider are those levels of investment, and who are and, and who, who is it that we are investing in, and who in. it is that we are investing in. That is a really good place to end this conversation. That's a fantastic place to end this. Ring a ding ding. Here we go. Congratulations on the inaugural episode. I'm honored to be part of it. So yes, this is the inaugural episode of Designing Opinion. We still have a lot of unknowns in this thing um it started from conversation it is going to continue in conversation and um hopefully over the next i don't even know how long every few weeks hopefully we're going to uh continue conversations dealing dealing in design not necessarily in a traditional sense but since design is this overall encompassing process that does get applied to so many different outlets, um, really hoping to have interesting conversations in the world of uh, product design, in business design, in life management design, even um, in education. Um, Aaron Aaron brought it up a number of times. Um, e-learning and. Uh, education design is certainly something I would love to have you back on and cool. delve into a little bit more too. But 
that's it. That's episode one. Um, stay tuned for next time when that shall be. Hopefully it'll be within the next couple of weeks. And we will see you soon. Thanks again.